So thank you, everybody, for being here. I'm Dan. I'm the uh, campus pastor here. And yes, you can applaud. Somebody wanted to applaud. They can applaud for... These people put in an amazing amount of work and, uh, and lead us so we can be grateful for that and, and applaud them. Um, today we're talking about Together in the Deep. We're continuing our series about becoming more mature in Christ. And part of becoming more mature in Christ and going deeper is that we need to do that together. We can go further in our maturity, we can go further in knowing Jesus together than we ever will alone. And the reason that is the case is because God designed it that way. There is no such thing as a solo Christian. There just isn't. Okay? So we need each other to be as mature as we're going to be. And we're going to spend some time in Galatians talking about this. Galatians chapter uh, 6, verses 1 and 2, we're going to be talking about that. So uh, we're, I'm going to be, so, and just to be clear, um, we have our translation here. That is the Christian Standard Bible. It used to be known as the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Pretty standard uh, translation. It's adjusted. I've adjusted it slightly with this word, sin. Um, that word there is not normally translated as sin. It's normally translated as trespass or wrongdoing. Um, those words, Paul uses them fairly synonymously, so I feel like I'm still on strong exegetical ground by doing this, but I wanted to let you know. And, uh, and if there are any Greek scholars in the room or online who would want to argue about this with me, I would please direct you to send an email to martin.trench at crossgate. Com, and I'm sure it will be treated with all of the respect that it deserves. Uh, please make that very long. So, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. So I want to start at the beginning, okay? And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the Spirit of the Lord hovered on the surface of the deep. Um, and then God said, let there be light. And day one, he made light, and he made dark, and he separated them. And then on the second day, he separated waters from waters. He said, let there be water on the earth, and let there be water in the sky above, and then he called the expanse sky and separated waters from waters. And then on the third day, he made, he said, well, let the waters be gathered into one place, and then dry land will appear. And then when dry land appeared, he, he made plants and trees and fruits and seeds and all of the things that go along with having plant life on the earth. That was day three. Day four, he made lights in the sky. He said, let there be lights in the sky so that they can mark the times and the day. So he made the sun and the moon and the stars. Day four. Day five, he made fish and birds. He said, let the, the, the sea team with life. Let the sky be filled with life. And he did that on day five. And then on day six, he made livestock and animals and finally makes human beings. And in all of this, he says, with all of his creation, he says that it's good. And then with humanity, he says that it is very good. And then he took a day off. So contrary to what all of the in Instagram hustle influencers are, are telling you, take a day off. You can do that. 
So he takes a day off. And then the next thing that happens is he looks at the creation he made, and he's like, okay, so everything I made is good, and then humanity is very good, but there's one thing that's not good, and it's not good for humanity to be alone. It's not good for the man to be alone. So it says, I will make a ezer koneged for him is the word in Hebrew. I will make a helper suitable is normally how that is translated. Um, it's not a great translation uh, because ezer koneged is a word construct and literally it means like opposite. And God says, I will make a, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a like opposite for him. And it is used in the context of help throughout the Old Testament, but it is only ever used in the context of military reinforcements. So for some of you, I just made your marriage make sense. Okay? So he makes a helper suitable for them. And then there's Adam and Eve, and he places them in the garden, and they are to have dominion over the whole earth and, and to fill it and, and, and make the rest of the earth like this garden that God has planted them in. He says, I've given you every plant and every seed-bearing thing and every fruit for food. Eat all of those. There's this one tree in the middle. Don't eat that, okay? And things go okay for a little bit. And then the next thing, the serpent speaks to Eve. Okay, and the serpent speaks to Eve, and he says, did God really tell you don't eat any of the trees? And she said, no, that's not what he said. He said to not eat that tree or touch it or we'll die. And then God speaks to Eve again and gives her another thought that, like, is God really telling the truth? And then Eve starts to have thoughts in her head that are different, that cause her to lie, uh, starts to believe some lies about who God is and what he said. Then she looks at the fruit of the tree and sees that it is, it is good for food, that it is, it, is it is a delight to the eyes, and it is desirous for gaining wisdom, is what the Bible tells us, and she eats it. And then she gives it to her husband, Adam, and he eats it as well, and all of a sudden, the trajectory of humanity changes immediately. And sin enters the world, and with it the very first consequence of sin, which is separation. And Adam and Eve see themselves, they know that they're naked, and they start to try and make clothes for themselves. The Bible says that they took fig leaves and sewed loincloths for themselves. And this project went about as well as you can imagine, given that they were a married couple doing crafts together doing a sewing project for the first time while inventing sewing. So in this separation, they try and, 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 and craft together, cobble something together to cover themselves over. And then when God steps in to the garden, as he normally did, walking in the cool of the day, they hide. And when God calls them out, they hide and they try to cover over. And then when God asks Adam, did you eat of the fruit? He, say, he, he does what has been ingrained in our DNA. He first, he blames. He says, this woman that you put here gave me and I ate. And then there were consequences to this sin. 
further consequences. In addition to the separation, in, a different, in addition to the, the trouble that is brought in with all of the, the covering up and the hiding and the, and the separation and the blame, now that there's consequences for their sin. And God says to the serpent first, he says, well, the consequences for you are that you, rather than walking on your legs, you're going to sliver on the ground for the rest of your life. So how many legs did the serpent have before that? That's a question that we will be answered in eternity. Um, Sorry, I, that is one of the funniest things that I can imagine in my life. When I get to eternity, one of my first questions is going to be like, where, how many legs did the serpent have beforehand? That's what one of the, like, there's lots of things to know. I just think that that line will be short. I think that there will be other lines where people are asking things like, why evil? And then I'll be like, how many legs did the serpent have? Serpent. Because it's somewhere between one and all. I don't. So the serpent loses its legs, and then the, God says to the woman that she is going to endure pain in childbirth, and that her desire will be for her husband, and he will rule over her, that there's going to be this conflict with men and women, and he says to Adam that the very ground is going to fight against you now in doing what you're trying to do. And this is the story that we tell. Whenever someone wants to ask us what is wrong with the world, what is wrong with you, what is wrong with me, what is wrong with us, this is the answer to that story. That God created humanity and set them on a trajectory for harmony with each other and harmony with him, and we broke it. And because of that, we're separated, and we cover, and we blame, and we hide and we retreat, and ultimately, as much as the first consequence of sin is separation, the final consequence of sin is isolation. Because while we may not know as much about hell as some of my colleagues would like to say to you, one thing we do know is that there you are alone, completely and finally fully, having hid and blamed and covered over and retreated and separated as much as you possibly can, now you are finally and completely alone. And that's the bad news of the world, that this is the world in which we live. This is around us, and it is in us as well. And some of you are like, well, Dan, this isn't very much fun. Why are you talking about sin. And the reason why I need to talk about sin is because if we're going to become more mature, we need to wrestle with this reality that is in us and around us. We need to acknowledge this in us and in other people that we have sinned against God. I used to I used to attend an Anglican church. In fact, my wife and I were married in an Anglican church. And, and while there's uh, I'm not obviously Anglican right now. They're one of the things that I appreciated so much about the Anglican service is that they had a confession of sin in every service. And that confession still to me, it's not biblical, it's not inspired in the same way, but that confession to me is still one of the most accurate things I've ever read in terms of describing what sin is. And the confession reads that, that we have sinned against, it says, God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought word and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone 
We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And for this we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name now and forever. Amen. And that, if we're honest, I believe is a very accurate description of who we are, sometimes even as followers of Jesus. That in those dark moments when we're alone and we see ourselves in the mirror and we feel that discontent that is within us start to rise up again, we are deeply, deeply aware that we have sinned against God in thought, word, and deed. That we have not loved much of anything with our whole hearts, certainly not God. And even those things that we have loved with our whole hearts, some of them we've squeezed so hard in our love that we've ended up breaking them. Or we've loved them so deeply and had such heavy expectations for them that they couldn't possibly bear them and they are bending and breaking around us. We haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves because in all honesty, we don't even love ourselves that much. When I talk about sin, I'm not talking about deeds as much. I'm not talking about the flamboyant, obvious things that have documentaries made about them. I'm not talking about the ones that we're all obviously aware of and would know immediately. I'm talking about the inclination in us to neither do what we want to do most, nor what is most needed. The part of us that when we know we're supposed to speak remains silent. The part of us that, know, that, that, that even when we know we're supposed to remain silent insists on having our word. The part of us that pushes people away and breaks things. Francis Buford is a British writer and theologian and he, he calls this sin the human propensity to mess things up. He doesn't use the word mess. He uses a ruder word, but I'll let you figure out which one it is. But he talks about the human propensity to mess things up. And when he says things, he says relationships and promises and situations and moods and all of the things around us that keep us from being who, both who we were called to be and who we really want to be. That there is destruction because of Adam and Eve. There is destruction in our DNA. And one of the things I find so interesting about this is that even as we become more mature in Christ and get closer to him, this stuff is going to come to the surface. Some of you are like, Dan, why are you, it sounds like you're trying to make me feel bad, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad. If there's nothing in what I've just said that resonates with you, this part of the sermon is not for you. That's okay. I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad. This is for the people who already feel bad and need words to put to why. You have sinned against God in thought, word, and deed by what you have done and by what you have left undone. You have not loved God with your whole heart. You have not loved your neighbors as yourself. And this is the truth in which we live. 
And the reality is if we're going to become mature in our faith, if we're going to go deeper, some of you have already noticed that as you get closer to Jesus, this, this sin starts to bubble out of you. That things that you thought were over and done with are now starting to reappear again. That a pattern of behavior and engaging with the world that you thought that you would stop has now started up again and you're on the same ride that you were beforehand. Or a temptation that you once thought that you had control over is now popping up and trying to insert itself in every part of your life. The reason why that's happening is because as we get closer to Jesus, he is not willing to let those things come with us. And if we're going to be with him, we need to repent and get those things out of us as we go. Acknowledging that this is part of who we are in our flesh. Because this, and this is so important for us to hold together as a church. Because if we're honest, lots of us feel that we have sinned against God in thought, word, and deed. We feel that entropy within us, that tendency to destroy the things and the people around us that wants to have our way that wants to pull people closer is the, at the same time as it wants to push them away, that wants to be in control of things at all time because we are scared and we are hopeless and we feel like if, if, if we can just control this one thing, then the world will be safe. And we feel that shame, that guilt, and have that tendency to cover over ourselves. And what the world tells us when we feel that is don't feel that. You shouldn't feel that. There's nothing wrong with you. That's just leftover, weird stuff. You need to just, like, let go. You just need to stop it. Stop feeling bad. Stop feeling shame and guilt. But if you've lived a few years, you know that that's not the way it works. And then the thought still creeps into your head, even after somebody's told you, to stop feeling this and that you don't need to feel guilty. That guilt and that shame is still there. And the gospel of Jesus is very different because the gospel of Jesus doesn't say to a person who feels bad, don't feel bad. The gospel of Jesus first says to somebody who feels bad, well, you should repent. The first word of the gospel is repent. In every place where Jesus shows up, the first thing he says, repent and believe the good news. Repent. Start off by just letting all of this stuff go. There is destruction in your DNA. Say it out loud. You have a tendency to break and control the relationships that you were in. You have a tendency to break promises. You have a, a tendency to hide and retreat from things that are, that are hard but yet good and the right thing for you to do. Repent of that. Say it out loud and get it into the world. Because before the gospel is good news, and it is incredibly good news, don't get me wrong, but before the gospel is good news, it's bad news. And the bad news is that you are bad. You have sinned against God in thought, word, and deed by what you've done and by what you've left undone. You haven't loved God with your whole heart, and you haven't loved your neighbor as yourself. You are bad, probably even worse than you think you are. 
But the amazing good news is that you are loved anyway. Exactly as you are, without changing a thing, before you even had the words to acknowledge you were a sinner, you were already loved. Infinitely and eternally. In every way. And that's the good news. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And stepped into the world for us. And rescued us. And that plan of rescue, God didn't just start that one day in around 4 A.D. God started that the second that Adam and Eve broke the law. The second that Adam and Eve sinned against God. God had already instituted a plan of salvation that would turn this whole thing around, that would rescue everybody. And it was just as much as sin is encoded in our DNA as well, rescue is there as well. Because that is what God has done immediately. So we arrive here. We're brothers and sisters. If someone is overtaken in any sin, if we are human and if we are in community, we are going to be overtaken in sin. And if we are going to be mature then this is the most important thing for us to remember. That yes, you have sinned in thought, word, and deed. And I have too. And yes, you have things inside of you that, that drag you to things that are going to destroy you and harm other people. And I have that too. And we do this not because we're especially evil, not because we're especially and extravagantly broken, but because this is the story of every human that exists. Our desires don't match up, and we are constantly in conflict, even with our own selves, about who we are and what we're supposed to do. Paul says this in Romans 7. Now, you have to understand, Paul, the person who who thought Christianity into sort of a codified existence under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Nobody, nobody, God did not inspire more words through any, God inspired most of the words to the New Testament through Paul. And Romans is Paul's like masterwork. It is the final thing that he wrote. It, it, it is one of the later books that he wrote, but it's also the one that he obviously spent the most time on. It's the longest. And, and, and there's some books that sound like Paul was just kind of like going slapdash. There's nothing about Romans that is slapdash. There is nothing about it that is unplanned. And Paul writes of himself in Romans 7, he says, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not good, do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. And if that's the case for Paul, then that's the case for you as well. And that's the case for me. And the way out of this is not to deny it. The way out of this is not to cover over. The way out of this is not to hide. The way out of this is not to blame. The way out of this is to repent. And to say, yes, that is true. I am a mixed up person with mixed up desires. And I need desperately 
to be forgiven. And I need desperately for the Holy Spirit to guide me into what is good and what is right. Because left to my own devices, I am dangerous to myself and to other people. All of this needs to be remembered when our siblings are caught in sin. And mature followers of Jesus will do this well, right? If we're mature, we're going to recognize that when our brother or sister is overcome in sin, that we're going to be like, yep, that happens. Okay, we're going to step in. We are going to, in a spirit of gentleness, as it says, we don't have to go to the next one. But when they do, we're going to acknowledge that, yes, even people who have followed Jesus for a long time sin. Because they are still human. And there is part of us that is not going to be redeemed this side of eternity. But if we're honest, we haven't done this well. Not as followers of Jesus. Not as the big C church. We have not done this well. We just haven't. And I don't have to convince you of that, but that is the reality of the world in which we live. I... I've been doing ministry for 18 years now in some sort of paid function for 18 years. But also in that time, because I wasn't always, uh, the money that I got paid for ministry didn't pay all of the bills. I also was in the restaurant business for a long time. I was a social worker for a while, and I've been in show business for a decade. And can I be honest with you? There is not a group of people less likely to admit sin in their lives than Christians and followers of Jesus. I wish I could tell you differently, but you know that what I'm saying is true. And we've seen, even in just in the last few weeks, followers of Jesus, when our leaders are overtaken in sin, rather than saying like, yep, that's a thing that happens, we, we've seen people retreat into covering over, well, no, no, that didn't really happen. And if it did happen, then it's their fault. And it's your fault for telling us about it. And the instinct to blame and cover over and hide and shrink back exists even in Jesus' church. And maybe even most of all in Jesus' church. Because we have taught and trained one another to not be honest. We have taught and trained each other in our institutions and in our churches and in our communities to not tell the truth about who we are. And if we're going to be mature, then we need to start doing this. And I need to submit this as well, because I've talked to lots of people who are like, well, why won't the world just listen to us? Why won't the world just listen to us about what we think about this law or that law or that way of being? Why don't they just listen to us as the church? Maybe it's because they see right through us in a way that we don't. We have sinned against God in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. And we blame. So... And we separate and we hide and we blame and especially we blame victims and especially we blame the people that bring it to mind. And some of you might say that I'm being harsh, but I want to tr promise you that I am not. I've been in ministry in this city since 2006. On at least five different occasions, I've had people come to me during the week and say, I have a friend who is 
in a lot of sin right now, and they need to go to church. Can they go to your church? I said, well, why, why, why do they have to? Well, you go to a church. Like, sure, but you go to a church. Why don't they just go to your church? Well, I couldn't ever bring someone this sinful to my church at least five times. And I want to make abundantly clear to you, as firmly as I can say anything, if there is no room for sinners in your church, you are not a church. You are something else. But you are certainly not a church in any way that the Bible or history has ever defined. So, we need to push back against this and that we who are spiritual, we who are in the deep, we who are immature, mature, need to restore such a person with a gentle spirit. We need to acknowledge that like, yeah, you sinned, I've sinned, I'm in the cycle of repentance and, 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 and I'm doing this very specifically because I could have come out here and just banged the drum and be like, you should all repent. And that is true. But you know what's more important and going to allow all of us to repent together? If we just make the decision to be people who are going to be gentle when someone repents to us. That's just a choice that we can make. That's not a big training skill. That's just a choice that we make to step in and say, fine, you sin, I sin. This is, a, we're, this is something that we're going to say out loud because we're not afraid of it because God's not afraid of it. Adam and Eve in the garden sowing fig leaves for themselves together. Do you think that they were hiding anything from the Lord God Almighty? The part of you that longs to shrink back and hide and say, well, I don't, that's not really a sin, that's just a habit. And that, and, and, and that was their fault because of what they did that I lashed out at them like that. Do you think that God doesn't know the truth? Do you think you're genuinely hiding anything from the creator of heaven and earth? So we need to just make the decision that we're going to restore people and respond gently to people who are caught in sin. That's just a decision that we have to make. And I want to be really clear when I say restore. Restoring doesn't mean make everything exactly the way it was. Because sometimes people are dangerous. Even the earthly redeemed versions of them are dangerous. Re restoration does not mean make everything exactly the same as it was. This will make sense to car people, but um, when I was in high school, my dad bought a 1963 Olds Cutlass convertible, and we brought it back from the U.S., and we were restoring it, and it had old bias ply tires on it. Now, for those of you who don't know, tire technology used to be worse. It was just real bad. And they were hard and firm. And in the early 60s, if you drove a car over the speed of like 100 kilometers an hour, the tires were so stiff that you definitely thought you were going to die, right? So when we restored that vehicle in the early 90s, we did not put bias ply tires on it. We put new radial tires on it because radial tires are safe. And in the same way with a gentle spirit, if someone has used a position like this to prey on other people, we do not restore them to this exact position. Okay? Restoration does not mean making everything the same as it was. Restoration means including people in community where they were excluded before. 
restoration means fighting back about against that impulse, that first consequence of sin is separation. Restoration means, no, we're not letting you separate. We're not letting you hide. We're not letting you blame. But gently and firmly, we are going to stand here with you. Because the instincts of sin are all the same, and we repeat Adam and Eve's pattern that, 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 that we do or something happens or something comes to light and we want to cover it up and we want to we hide and we want to separate. And restoration gently means, no, we're not going to let you do that. You are our brother, you are our sister, you are our sibling, and we're not going to let you do that. And we're not going to leave you alone in your sin because Jesus didn't leave us alone in ours. So as Jesus in this way, we're going to step in as well, watching out for yourselves that you won't be tempted. This is really interesting. Growing up, I was always taught this verse that you had to be on guard because if they were caught up in a sin and you stepped into it, then you could fall for the same sin as well. That's not at all what this passage is talking about. It's saying that when you restore someone to sin, that you might think that you're in some way better, that you're in some way exempt, or that the heart that you have isn't confused in its desires, or that in helping someone who has sinned against God in thought, word, and deed, that you somehow lose sight of the fact that you also have sinned against God in thought, word, and deed. Take care, gently restore people, but take care that you don't think that you're in any way different. And this is the thing that kills us, isn't it? This is the thing that keeps us separate from other people is being worried that their sin is going to cast onto us, and, 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 and if I'm a sinner as well, then how am I ever going to hold myself above, above other people? Jesus said, don't be like the Pharisees who do their acts of righteousness in front of other people in order to be seen by them. I tell you the truth, you have already received your reward. What is almost all of online engagement other than desperate attempts to prove our own righteousness. And if we get it, we've already received our reward. So we restore people and then we carry each other's burdens because in this way, we fulfill the law of Christ. And I know that there's somebody, and I get it, there's somebody in the room who's just like, but I don't wanna carry anybody else's burdens. I don't wanna try and clean up anybody else's mess. They make that. Why do I have to do it? Did Jesus leave you to carry your own burdens? Did Jesus leave you to clean up your own messes? And in the same way that Jesus intervened on our behalf, when we see our brothers and sisters overcome in sin, we do that as well. Not because we're good or because we're strong or because we're so fit or because we're able to rescue people on our own, but because this is what Jesus has told us to do because he did it. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Especially young people, especially young people. I get a lot of younger people who want to say, what does God want me to do? And I've been in this position, too, where I've been like, God, what do you want me to do? Carry one another's burdens? 
if that's your real concern and not just like what job have I gonna, am I going to have, which is probably the real underlying concern, where am I going to fit in the world? The real thing is carry one, in one another's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. And in this way, we also don't fall into the pattern of the world, which is to separate and to deny and to cover over and to blame and to hide. But yet we go against that order of the world and we step in and say, like, no, we're stopping this. We're telling the truth about who we are. We're telling the truth about who God is in the midst of this. We're telling the truth about our own thoughts and words and deeds. And we're going to bring them out to the open because there's nothing to be afraid of there. We have this fear in ourselves that if the world knew us as we really, really were, then we would be rejected. And what God says to us over and over and over and over and over and over again is, no, you will not. I already know you. I already know every thought. I already know every word. I already know every deed. And I have already rescued you. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. So now, in freedom, repent. Not out of guilt and shame, but to avoid guilt and shame. Because I don't have to be afraid of you. I certainly don't have to be afraid of God. I don't have to be afraid of anyone. And I don't have to be afraid of a church culture that demands that we clean ourselves up on the outside before we ever dare bring ourselves inside. I don't have to be afraid of that. And neither do you. We carry one another's burdens. We clean up each other's messes. Not because we're good, but because in this way, we fulfill the law of Christ. We can go to the next one. So what do we do now? How does this actually work? Well, the first step is repentance, and is always repentance. In Alcoholics Anonymous, they, they call this doing a, a radical inventory. And I would argue that for us as Christians, that is a very good and a smart thing to do as well. I'm going to invite the band back up because I'm going to go quicker than I think that I thought I was. <laughs> but as they come up, we're going to pray now. And maybe there's someone here that is, hasn't experienced the first repentance. <laughs> maybe for someone, you're just so caught up in your tendency to destroy other people and to destroy yourself and you feel so stuck in that, that you need to know Jesus for the first time. And that is on offer today. The bad news is that you are bad. Probably worse than you think you are. But the good news is that you are loved infinitely more than you could ever imagine, exactly as you are. Before you ever change a thing, because you can't change a thing, you are loved exactly and completely now. other amazing thing about the gospel, what a writer called Frederick Buechner called the gospel is fairy tale, is that even in the midst of the part of us that longs for death and destruction, God works and moves in us anyway. And you can be made completely 
new in ways that you did not recognize beforehand. So I'm going to invite us all to bow our heads together. And I'm going to lead us in prayer. Close our eyes. And acknowledge that, God, this is hard for us. Father God, this is hard for us to tell the truth about who we are. We live in a world that, that is bent on distracting us, that is bent on, on lying to us, on telling us that we're okay, that we just shouldn't feel bad, that we shouldn't feel that we have hurt other people. And we feel stuck and caught in it, God. We feel trapped. But the way out of this trap is not an amazing trick, but simply to repent and tell the truth about ourselves. That we have sinned in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. If you want to be free of this in a new way, if you have not known Jesus yet and would like to know the freedom that comes with him, I would invite you at this time to pray a prayer with me. And please raise your hand if you're praying this prayer to accept Jesus for the first time. God, I am just now hearing words and having feelings that make my life make sense. And I don't want to be who I was anymore. But as many times as I've tried to be, be someone different, to act different, I can't. And I ask that at this moment, that Jesus come into my life and make me new. I need to know you. I need you to tell me the truth about who you are. I need you to tell me the truth about who I am. And I need to be set free. And now and for the rest of eternity, I surrender my life to you. Please change the trajectory of my life now and forever. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are... If you've been following Jesus for a while, if Jesus has lived in your heart, if you've been in church communities for a while, but you have not told the truth about yourself, then I would invite you to pray as well. And if this is a prayer for you, that you need to be set free and finally be able to tell the truth, then I would ask you to raise your hand in, in quiet as well and pray this prayer. God, I thought I could do it. I thought that if I just acted the role, that I would be different. I thought that if I just put on the mask, that I would be different. I thought that if I just hid myself in the busyness of doing work for you, that I would be different. And the truth is I'm not. I'm the same and my desires are, are discordant and my heart is torn in different directions and I want you to be near, but at the same time, I wanna run as far away from you as I can. And I ask that at this moment, that you intervene in my life, that your Holy Spirit become real to me and help me to 
be pulled in the direction of truth, and it starts by me telling the truth about myself, that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart, and I have not loved my neighbors as myself. And I am truly sorry and I humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on me and forgive me that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name now and forever. Amen. For the rest of us, maybe there's somebody even who's left out. This is the prayer that I have for us. God, give me a spirit of gentleness. Make me someone who is firm and strong enough to be gentle. Make me someone who in the lives of the people that I love does not allow them to separate, does not allow them to run, does not allow them to isolate, does not allow them to hide or cover over or blame, but instead acknowledges the truth and steps into it with the spirit of gentleness restores this person carrying their burdens and cleaning up their messes and in so doing fulfilling your law help me to do that now and for eternity God I ask that you would make all of these things real in our hearts that these wouldn't be merely words that we say now and then forget when we walk out but that this church would be different and our lives would be different because we are willing and open in who you are to finally tell the truth about who we are and who you are. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing.